1: That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
0: We're not asking for nothing special. We're asking to be treated equal and to be treated fair.
1: On Wednesday, the civil rights activist, the Reverend Al Sharpton, gave a eulogy at the funeral service of Tyree Nichols, the 29-year-old father of one who was beaten to death by police officers during a traffic stop in Memphis at the beginning of January. Earlier today, the grand jury returned indictments against five former Memphis Police Department officers regarding the death of Tyree Nichols. This latest police killing has many once again demanding meaningful police reform, with the vice president herself, Kamala Harris, calling on her colleagues in Congress to do more. We demand that Congress pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Joe Biden will sign it. So what's stopping them? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America.
0: I have to tell you, honestly, I get truly angry just saying that it's a profession that I love and because it was 20 years of my life and to see what it has kind
1: of evolved into. Dr. David Thomas is a professor of forensic studies at Florida Gulf Coast University. Before that, he was himself a police officer. He retired in 1998. And then
0: from the perspective of being a black male in this country, I worry because I have I have children and I have grandchildren and I just pray that they never have to deal with that type of that situation.
1: And we're talking about young people here. You're talking about the next generations of your family. We're talking about Tyree Nichols, himself a young man, age 29, a father. What more can you tell us about this individual who has come to the fore in these last few days?
0: From what I can gather, he's really a good kid. I mean, and, and I call him a kid because I'm I'm closer to 70 years old. But, you know, he, he's somebody that's never been arrested. Um, and I know in, in American society, in fact, I got an email where somebody said that the, the problem with black males is that most of them are criminals. Huh. Uh, and that's why the police always interact with them. Oh. So uh, here's, you know, here's a guy. He's a dad of a four year old. He's a skateboarder. And um, he's a photographer. So, and and it it appears from everything that I can see that he is endeared to his family. He has a tattoo of my name Mm. on his arm. My son loved me to death and I loved him to death. I mean, that is really the, it works every day. That is the epitome of what this
1: country should be about. And what happened to him was just the opposite. Just the opposite, absolutely. And the... The sight of this crowd of mourners uh, this week, and uh, we mentioned Al Sharpton delivering that eulogy, obviously in people's minds was the history of that place and Memphis was uh, the location, and, and, and Al Sharpton mentioned it, of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr.
0: I told the story of how Dr. King had came to Memphis... To fight for garbage workers.
1: Famously siding with garbage collectors in the city who were protesting. Uh, I mean, how does this sit in the history of Memphis, Tennessee? What does it mean that a place that has that kind of racial history then is exposed to this episode this week? You know, for black folks, it will mean a lot. But for I, I would I
0: would dare say for the rest of America who has short memories and like to forget, I think that this will be one of those passing things. The death of Mr. Nichols um, will soon be forgotten. There's just no doubt. America is this is a place where we like to forget and we'd like to move on to the next thing. When George Floyd was murdered, the, the difference was we were in the middle of covid. So America had literally had to stop and it had to look at its conscience today. We're right back to work and it's like we'll we'll forget this as long as you know this generation doesn't forget and as long as they keep pushing congress to make changes then then I think we'll move forward.
1: It's hard to hear you say that about names being forgotten and yet hard to argue with it too because these names do sort of pass on and in fact it was quite uh, noticeable I think perhaps he almost had that thought in his mind himself Al Sharpton because he made a point of naming Other victims of police brutality, if there were family members there at the service uh, for Tyree Nichols, among them Philonese Floyd, who uh, was the brother of George Floyd, killed by police in Minneapolis. Tamika Palmer was there. She was the mother of Breonna Taylor, who was fatally shot when police raided her apartment in Louisville, Kentucky. I mean, it's sort of layer upon layer, isn't it? And yet, in a way, it's quite hard to hear you say, yeah, but these people, in the end, if it's not an episode like George Floyd, the names get forgotten.
0: They do. This isn't something that just happened. This has been going on for over 300 years. This this type of abuse began when the sheriff was part of the slave patrols in this country. So, you know, and my grandfather was born in the late 1800s. My dad was born in 1914. And they could uh, tell me historically, they could tell me things about police and the thing they hated, they hated police. If if you can believe that or not, I had a difficult time with it. And then I became a police officer. So that conversation, it, it didn't go over well in my house. My dad called me a traitor and an uncle Tom, literally meaning that I was turning against, no matter if I was positive or negative, But that is the way our people were going to perceive me when I tried to do my job. My daughter, we had this discussion the other day about me becoming a police officer. And she goes, Dad, I think you just did that because there were no other jobs. She is absolutely right. There were no other jobs at the time when I graduated from college. And that's literally why I became a police officer.
1: Let's get into this now, because you've taken us to this point. I mean, this was an argument immediately unleashed when people saw that five of the officers involved in the beating of Tyree Nichols, and I'm, I, I, I think we'll be honest, a lot of people were surprised to see that five of the officers involved were black men. I think they were primed to think, like with the other cases that we've talked about, that perpetrators would be exclusively white they weren't. And some people sort of say, well, in that case, if the men uh, doing the beating are black of a black man, well, this isn't about racism. This is about something else. And a lot of civil rights activists pushed back on that and said, no, it's much more complicated than that, that it can still be about racism. Do you, do explain to us the conflicting views on this and how you see it. There's no
0: doubt that in some parts of this, in in some aspects of policing, Race is heavily involved. Um, you can look at the number of arrests. You can look at—I mean—you can look at who goes to prison. You can look at—I mean—our history has not been the best as far as the criminal justice system when it inter- interacts with um, the black community, no doubt. But what people and the media has done a great job of portraying black versus white, meaning that you have a white cop and you have a black man, and so that's that not only sells but it pushes the narrative that that policing is all about race and it's racism. What people have failed to talk about and what the reality is, is that it is about the police culture. Sure, there are black cops. There's the difference, let's say, between a black cop and a white cop when we're in the station and there's this sub, the, the subcultures are there. But when you're on the street, a cop is a cop. And so within that, that the broad spectrum of, let's say, 700,000 cops in this country, there is a small segment, that are bad. In order for there to be change, what's going to have to happen is the unions are going to have to say we need to get rid of these people and stop supporting people who don't officers who don't give a damn about their country and they don't care about the citizens that they police. That's the problem.
1: So we'll we'll get on to some of the possible reforms and the politics around that shortly, but before we do Are you saying that there is a in that police culture that will be absorbed by officers, whether they themselves are black or white? Would part of that culture that they might have absorbed be discrimination against black Americans? And therefore, even if you are a black officer, you will have absorbed some of those attitudes, including anti-black attitudes.
0: Yes. And and I'll give you some for instances. Uh, one of the things is uh, a black man on a bicycle. I mean, that was a big deal is to see a, a black man on a bicycle at night without a light on his bicycle. That was automatically admit to officers that the person was first of all, it's illegal. I, I get that. But that also points out that that pro- the, the argument would be that that person either has drugs or weapon or they are wanted on a warrant. So they would they would stop them. And they would write some guy who can't afford a $60 ticket, a ticket for 60 bucks. And then, because if, if there's nothing on him, then you're going to write the ticket. So now we write the ticket, which means that at some point in his, in, you know, this in 60 days or 90 days because he can't pay, that's going to turn into a warrant, And that happens to black people in the black community because they are targeted. Black males are targeted on those bicycles. And that would be
1: doing the targeting would even be black officers. Yes, sir. And I I remember... um, But just explain that to me, because when you were a police officer yourself, would that thought go through your mind? "Mm, Black man on a bicycle at night, he may be doing drugs. Would that, as it were, racist thought go through even your mind? No.
0: In fact, I was a training officer. And what I used to tell when I would tell black officers and minority officers coming through the department, I know that when you work in a certain particular patrol zone and you're dealing with you're going, to make, you're going to stop Black people on bikes without lights. And you got to do what you got to do to get through the field training program. But do not do that. Just think about your brother or your sister who can't afford a car.
1: And so this is why they are on this bicycle. So does this, what you've just told us there, and indeed what you told us about the, the sort of habits of policing, simply put, does this add up to an inevitable conclusion that police forces in the United States are institutionally racist?
0: Yeah, I I would say that. Yes, yes. If I have the luxury of going to train at a a department, which I don't get very often because of where I sit, the question I often ask officers is, what is the culture of your organization? They can't tell me. What are your, your squad's objectives? They don't know. So the agency is roughly, many of the officers are disconnected from the communities that they serve which means that they only know one thing and that is to go and make arrests the, because their value, how they're judged, is value, their value is based on numbers. So I get promoted or I get transfers because I make arrests or I write a lot of tickets. It's not because I do great police work.
1: On the Tyree case specifically, let's just go back to that because initially the five black officers who were seen caught on video beating Tyree were fired and were charged with various crimes, including second-degree murder. Since then, though, we have learned that a white officer, who was also seen in the video, and an unnamed seventh officer, and three emergency responders have also been disciplined over the case, but but not actually charged with anything. And now the Shelby County District Attorney said on Tuesday that prosecutors could bring further criminal charges against those involved that have yet to be charged. And the City Police Department had announced that they would permanently disband the so-called Scorpion unit whose officers were involved in the beating. So that is a sort of policy response. In your view, and we did touch on the phrase police reform before, but what more do you think police forces need to do right now? Yeah, this
0: country is about knee-jerk reactions. So you saw George Floyd and Eric Garner; they died in relationship to the chokehold. Federal prosecutors will not bring charges against a New York City police officer involved in the 2014 death of Eric Garner. Garner died after being placed in a chokehold. By- so the knee, the knee-jerk reaction is we're going to we're going to ban the chokehold. In Eric Garner's case, when he when he died, the New York City Police Department had banned the chokehold for 10 years. 10 years prior to that incident, the chokehold had been banned. We look to legislate, but we don't look to, in this country, realizing that most officers in this country only ever receive defensive tactics training, hand-to-hand skills. And as that skill diminishes, you are leaving officers to their own devices, wherever it may be, in order to establish control of a person because you don't do ongoing training. When Jeff Sessions was the uh, the attorney general, Prior to him, under President Obama, we did consent decrees, which meant that agencies, when they were found to, to their practices were, were horrible and they treated people poorly, then the, the Justice Department would come in, put them under decree and say, these are the things that you need to change and we're going to oversee you. OK, Jeff Sessions comes in. He says, no, we're not doing that. I actually have a copy of the letter that he wrote. We don't need to police the police. That's not our job anymore. So consent decrees went out the window. Well, my question is. When you make those decisions, who polices the police? Who keeps the police honest? If they are going to mandate changes and those changes will be continuous and ongoing and they're going to supervise those moves, then it's great. If not, then we're going to be right back in, in two years, depending, or four years, depending on who wins the election. We'll, this cycle will be right back to where we are today. Yeah,
1: you're making a point there in a way about political will, that you get it and then you lose it. it it's there and then it f- recedes. I mean, the last big moment where people were talking about this was very much the murder of George Floyd. At that point, you know, there was a a bill drawn up. Kamala Harris, who was in Memphis this week, was very clear that she urged Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act drawn up in the aftermath of that death.
0: Police under this law could be charged with criminal offences if they act recklessly. That would be a new lower standard for charging police in their duties. And then also, as you heard so much about, officers would no longer be immune from lawsuits. Families instead would be able to sue uh, more ably, more quickly.
1: uh Just explain for people listening what that, that piece of legislation would do if passed. It's actually funding for all the things ongoing training. My God,
0: just think about officers receiving ongoing training and not being tied to a budget. They want to limit the use or the release of military style vehicles from, you know, we have the ability to take military style equipment and vehicles from the military. We can buy it for a dollar. Agencies can buy them for a dollar and then they can convert them to civilian use. And so they want to limit that. They want to put limits to that, which makes sense. Because it needs to be associated with training, not just wholeheartedly giving somebody something and saying, here, do do what you need to do with it. It gives money to the attorney generals of the state and to be able to investigate officers who are involved in situations such as as Mr. Nichols or George Floyd. So there's money for all the things that
1: need to take place in this country in order for to keep police honest. The George Floyd Justice in Policing Act would have done a whole lot of things, yet it got stalled in the Senate. There was backroom negotiations going on between Senator Tim Scott, Republican, Cory Booker, Democrat. You'd think a moment like George Floyd's murder would galvanize action, but talks failed. What's your account for why the politicians just couldn't get it done? Police unions, they
0: are a very powerful lobbying group. And they, in their own right, right, they're as powerful as the NRA. And the argument, I would dare say one of the arguments is, is that nobody would be a police officer if you do this. Keep in mind that nobody wants to be the police anyway because of what's happened. When I taught in the academy years ago, we would have 40 recruits in a class and we'd have a 40 person waiting list. Today, you're lucky to get 10 in a class at our academies.
1: That that's fascinating. That there is actually a a, a drop off in recruiting numbers. But what about the, the the response to all this that comes from the left of American politics? You'll know the phrase, "Defund the police," was the big slogan in 2020 after the killing of George Floyd. Some who support the idea want to strip all police funding and dissolve entire departments. We don't want no more police. But other advocates want to reallocate some, but not all, money away from police departments and funnel some of it to training civilians to do some of the jobs police have always done. What's your view of what defund the police would be like if it moved from being a slogan to a policy? If it moved to being a policy, what you would
0: have is total chaos in this country. My daughter has advocated that. She says, these are her words to me two years ago. You need to do away with the whole damn thing. All of you just need to go to hell. So I said, so who do you call? I don't care. Well, that's too far to the left because there has to be some balance and we have to find that middle ground, I think, is is probably the better way to, to look at it. And I would say it this way, that America needs to reimagine policing. And this, the George Floyd Act is a good beginning, but also communities need to get together and they need to tell the police department what. They want from their police department that is unheard of. But we hire you as citizens, and so we need to have that dialogue. There needs to be trust trust in a chief, but that means the chief has to go out and have those conversations with the public and be willing to have ongoing dialogue. It's not a police problem, and hell, it's not a community problem. It is a social problem in this country that that we that has been exacerbated by people ignoring it, there has been a collision here that that we need to clean up. And I don't know if we'll be able to.
1: Let's take uh, uh, ourselves back, though, to Memphis and what happened there and what is going to happen. People will remember that, in a way, Minneapolis went through two rounds of pain there. There was the episode, the killing of George Floyd itself. And then there was the reaction uh, during the trial of his killer and the eventual sentencing and jailing of Derek Chauvin for second-degree murder.
0: This is a city on edge, the courthouse already heavily fortified and protected
1: by the National Guard. How do you think this plays out for Memphis? How will Memphis react, not just to this dreadful killing, but to the trials that will follow and then the verdicts when they come?
0: I think where we are now, and I think because of of uh, Mr. Nichols' family, Tyree's family, I think Memphis is in a good spot because they were so eloquent about, you know, not wanting violence, not wanting to have this take place, but to find a way to, to facilitate change.
1: I don't want us burning up our cities, tearing up the streets, because...
0: That's not what my son stood for. And if you guys are here for me and Tyree, then you will protest peacefully. When it's all said and done, I think that Memphis will stand on that. They'll be okay. But I also think that they're going to demand and I know they're already doing it, demanding change. And so that's where we have to go from here.
1: David Thomas, former police officer, scholar of policing and minorities. Thanks so much for talking to us on Politics Weekly, America. Thanks for having me. And that is all from us for this week. Now, you might well have seen the news that FBI agents were searching President Joe Biden's Delaware holiday home, looking for classified materials. This came after previously paying a visit to Biden's residence in Wilmington and his former office in Washington, D.C. At the end of Wednesday, the Department of Justice said there were no government secrets found. But it did give prominence once more to a story Joe Biden would much prefer disappeared. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke to the former federal prosecutor Ankush Kardori about what started the department's investigation into the president's handling of classified materials. There'll be a link to that on today's episode description on The Guardian website. Before we go, I want to let you know about a special Guardian event in which Senator Bernie Sanders will sit down in conversation with my Guardian colleague Owen Jones. The pair are going to talk about Senator Sanders' vision for fundamental political and economic change in the United States. It's going to be live streamed, which means you can watch it online anywhere in the world on Sunday, the 26th of February, and it gets underway at 5pm UK time. The event will be held live in Oxford. And so if you want an in-person ticket to be there, go right now to theguardian.com forward slash Bernie Sanders. But for now that's it, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens, the executive producer is Maz Eptahaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?